0: You know, last night I had the joy of doing a wedding, and I love doing weddings because I love people, I love getting to stand there in that moment with them. But last night was uh, kind of particularly special because I did a wedding in the same venue where Sydney and I got married more than 15 years ago. And so I'm standing there at the altar, I'm looking out, I'm seeing Sydney, she's looking as fine as ever, you know, (laughs) and just thinking back like, man, what a journey we've been on together. And so we got in the car after the wedding and we're just kind of reflecting on just what a gift it has been to get to do life together all of these years. one of the things that I have thought about over the last several days is there's so there's so many things I love about Sydney, but one of the things that I love, love most about her is also one of the things that I don't love most about her. And I got her permission to share this story, so before you blow me up in the live chat, um, just stick with me for a second. You know, one of the things that I love about Sydney and one of the things that frustrates me about Sydney is her ability to look me in the eyes and, with love, tell me the thing that I need to hear, even if it's not the thing that I want to hear. Like she can, she can look at me. I don't know if you have any friends like that, or maybe you have a spouse like that, or a roommate like that, uh, maybe a mentor like that, somebody that has the ability to look you in the eyes and to tell you the thing that you need to hear, not necessarily the thing that you want to hear. But that's one of the things that I've always loved about Sid. And truthfully, it's also the thing that sometimes drives me crazy, especially when I'm in a season of confusion or uncertainty or pain. I could tell you so many uh, examples where she's done this, but one of the things, one of the memories that I was reflecting on this week was back years ago, right after Ethos had gotten started, Sydney was working as a physical therapist. I was working multiple jobs at the time. And truth be told, I was not living a very healthy, balanced life, spiritually, physically, relationally, any of that stuff. And so I remember this one night in particular, I was sitting on the couch at the house we used to rent off of Shackleford Road. Sitting there it was about 9:30 at night. Sid so was on the other end of the couch. It was the moment where we were supposed to be hanging out, kind of connecting. But kind of in typical fashion for those days, I had my laptop out and I was just cranking away at work at 9.30 at night. And she looks over at me and she said, Dave, she said, You look terrible. Now, I, I don't know if you have the gift of encouragement. I don't know if you've ever tried to like bolster someone's spirit in your life. That's probably not the best line to lead with, but that was, that was the moment she's like, you look terrible. And I'm like, "Like what do you mean? And she said, your face, it looks awful. You look worn <laughs> down, you look haggard, you look tired, you look stressed out. And she literally, she goes a step further. She said, I want you to go in, into the bathroom, look in the mirror, and see how rough you look. Now, here's a pro tip for you guys. This does not work both ways. You can never say that to your wife. I don't care what's happening. Don't ever tell her that truth. Like, but she can say that to you. And so I went to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror. And man, I, I looked worn out. I, look, I looked run down. I remember coming back and sitting on the couch. And it's just one of those moments where she began to, in love, tell me some of the things I needed to hear, even though it wasn't the things that I wanted to hear. And what I have found over time is when somebody loves you enough to do that, it actually leads you to life. That something begins to break loose in you and somebody loves you enough to just say, hey, here's what you need to hear. And it's sort of the love-hate relationship I have with the book of James at times. You're going to notice this, is that we summed up the book of James like this if you were with us last week. We said it's a really good letter from a trusted friend in the middle of a hard season. And that's what this is. It's not just a book. He didn't write this in a coffee shop to a bunch of people that were just crushing it in life. He, He wrote this letter to the church that had been scattered. They were being crushed by life. They were losing jobs, they were losing their homes, they were losing their lives for Jesus. And here James, this trusted friend, he writes them this good letter, and the reality is there's times when the letter is very encouraging. You know, Sydney can be very encouraging to me, and she often is very encouraging. And it's how he opened the letter last week, you know, if you're with us. He looked at these people that were struggling in life, and he just comes out of the gate with all of this encouragement. He says, remember who you are in the midst of this. You are servants of God. You are living in the bigger story of God, and you've been scattered for the glory of God. And so there's all of this encouragement, but we're going to get to verse two this morning. And all of a sudden, James is going to sit down on the couch, and he's going to say the thing that so many of us need to hear, even if it's not the thing that we want to hear. And what he's going to begin talking about this morning is the reality of suffering, the reality of hardship, the reality of struggle, the, the role that that plays in the life of a Jesus follower. And here's what I wanna just say at the outset before we even jump into the Word. There's some of you this morning, you are struggling. Life is falling apart, you've lost your job, relationships are struggling, your faith is struggling, maybe your health is failing, I don't know what's going on this morning. But what I have learned in my own journey is when I'm in a season of hardship, the last thing I want anybody to do is to speak to me about more hardship. There's gonna be this temptation maybe for you to turn off the live stream, to check out, to kind of ease the pain, but I wanna encourage you to stick with us this morning because I believe Jesus has something to say to us through his half-brother James that's writing the letter. But I think this message really, really matters, not just for those of you that are struggling right now. I think it's extremely relevant for two reasons. And I don't know if you take notes, but at least plant these two reasons in your heart because I think they're going to just carry as we go through the book of James together over the next several months. The first reason I think this message on suffering is so important is because James is going to remind us, if you're a human being or if you know any human being, so hopefully that applies to every one of you, either you are a human or you know a human, if you're a human being, the reality is you have suffered. Maybe you are suffering and you, again, will suffer one day in the future. You'll be tried, you'll be tested. And so what James is gonna say is this conversation, whether it feels relevant now or in the past or in the future, the reality is it is relevant to you. It is a universal experience to suffer as a human being. But that's not the only reason this is relevant to me. Part of the reason I believe it's relevant is not just our universal human experience, I believe it's the unique experience that we as followers of Jesus have. And here's what I mean by this, is Jesus over and over, he's gonna say, hey, if you are my follower, you're not just gonna suffer, you're not just gonna be tested because you're a human being, you're gonna be tested uniquely because you're with me. And what Jesus says in Mark chapter four, when he's telling the the, the parable of the four different soils, he says there's a lot of people who early on in their life, they get really excited about Christianity. They get really excited about Jesus. He said, they're like the seed that's planted in shallow soil and their life springs up and everything's good, but the moment persecution or hardship or suffering come into their, kind of the forefront of their minds, he says they walk away from the faith. That's what Jesus talks about when he says, as we, as human beings, approach the end of all things, as we we race towards that moment when Jesus is going to physically return to earth to judge the living and the dead, to reign in the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus says, as we approach those days, suffering, hardship, testing, is gonna increase for followers of Jesus specifically. And there's these sobering words that he says in Matthew chapter 24. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, because of the things that the world is going to go through, the love of so many Christians for God is going to grow cold. And so I think this is relevant, guys, not just because you're a human being that's going to experience the universal reality of suffering, but because you as a follower of Jesus are going to experience this uniquely. And if you don't know what to do with it, the scriptures say you'll be tempted to abandon Jesus when suffering comes. And so James is going to sit down, and he loves us enough to sit on the couch and to say, hey, I want to say the thing to you that you need to hear, even if the thing, it's the thing that you don't want to hear, because I believe that what God is doing in the midst of this matter. So let's look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 2 together. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work in you, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And so there's so many things that we could unpack right here from these few verses out of James 1, but uh, I'm just going to kind of follow a framework to help us get our minds around this message of gospel suffering together. If you take notes, just kind of three aspects we're going to wrestle with. One, we're going to talk about the bad news of suffering. Then we're gonna talk about the good news of suffering, and then we're gonna look at what James kind of says are the what-to-dos of suffering. Like, what do you do to stand strong in the middle of it? So let's let's just start with the bad news. Let's rip the band-aid off. Let's get like right at the thing that James is gonna say. Look back at verse two with me. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Whenever. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, you should underline that word whenever. He doesn't say if you face trials, he says whenever. And so if you take notes, there's kind of two things that I want us to notice under the bad news of suffering. And the first one is this, is that you should expect trials in your life. You should expect trials. You don't need to worry about them. You don't need to be fearful of them. You certainly don't need to pray for them, but you should expect them. Like right out the gate, James says, this is not just something that some of us experience. It's not just something that, you know, kind of the few unlucky experiences. He says, this is something that all human beings experience, but especially those that are walking with Jesus. Like, if you were walking with Jesus, you should expect that trials are going to come into your life, that hardship, suffering is going to come into your life. I remember when I was in college, I had this great job where I worked at an after, uh, after school kind of program, and it was an amazing job. I got paid way too much to do way too little. That's the best kind of job. <laughs> but basically what I would do is I'd hang out with kids, help them with their homework, and then we'd play games until their parents would show up to get them after school. And there's this one kid in particular that I loved. His name was Joshua. He was hilarious, cute little kid. Uh, he was in first grade when I first started working there. And Joshua was amazing, but he never wanted to, to do any of the things that the other kids were doing. And so kind of my goal every day was, hey, I'm going to get Joshua to participate in whatever the kids are doing. So I remember this one day we were playing dodgeball you know, out on the court. And and I'm like, hey, Joshua, you got to play. And he's like giving me all the excuses. And so finally, I talked Joshua into, into getting into the game of dodgeball. And if you've ever played dodgeball, if you have ears, you know what this game is about. A ball is going to be thrown at you and you've got to dodge it, right? And so I'm trying to explain it. So Joshua gets in there, first grader amongst all of these kind of first through fifth graders. And there's this fifth grade kid that had like a mustache and armpit hair. You know, he was a full grown man. And he like right out of the gate, just destroys Joshua with a dodgeball and hits him so hard. And so Joshua comes running out crying and he's like, he hit me, he hit me. And I'm like, bro, that's the game. Like, that's literally the game. And and I I was thinking about that this week. I go, so many of us as followers of Jesus. We go into life as though, hey, we're with Jesus. Everything should be easy, comfortable, good, normal, wonderful. And when we get hit by the ball, we come running out of the game shocked and surprised that we got hit. And James is just saying, hey, listen, if you're a human being, but more significantly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should expect the trials are going to come. This is what Jesus says, you know, right? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He turns to his disciples and he says, hey, I want you to watch what they're about to do to me, and they're going to do even worse to you because you're my followers. That's what he says in John chapter 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, don't be surprised when you find yourself in this fiery ordeal, when you're in the middle of trouble, when you're in the middle of struggle. It's what James picks up on here. He says, the bad news when it comes to suffering, you should expect it. Number two in regards to the bad news, it's not just that you should expect it, it's that you should expect trials to come in many different shapes and sizes. You should expect many kinds, look at this, In verse two, he says, whenever you face trials of what? Of many kinds. In other words, James says, sometimes it's gonna be a relational struggle. Sometimes it'll be a physical struggle. Sometimes it'll be a financial struggle. Sometimes it'll be a struggle that's going on with someone you love. Sometimes it'll be a spiritual burden or an emotional burden, or sometimes it'll be all of those things rolled into one. What James says is not only can you count on suffering and trial to come, but you should expect it to come in many shapes and sizes. There'll be times when you see the the trial coming. I think about my friend who's a part of our church family years ago. He was just an amazing web developer. He was working for a firm here in the city, and his firm was given a contract by one of the largest men's magazines in the world. And they asked this firm to develop their website, and and they're so excited what this was gonna do for their business, so they came to my friend and said, hey, we need you to help lead this project to develop the website. But my my friend was immediately, he was burdened by this because this magazine has made all of their, their profit off of the objectification of women and off of keeping men in deep, habitual sexual sin. And he just thought, man, I can't do this as a follower of Jesus. So he prayed about it and prayed about it, went back to his boss and said, hey, as a follower of Jesus, I can't work on this project. I need to be excused from it. And the boss said, I'll do one better. I'll excuse you from your work altogether. Pack up your things, you're done. And there's this moment where my, my friend found himself in a trial in the testing of his faith. And the truth is he kind of saw that coming, but it didn't make it any easier. Some of you have experienced that before. There are other times when trials come your way, hardship comes your way, suffering comes your way, and you never saw it coming. It's the phone call you get when you find out your mom has cancer. It's what you find out when you realize your spouse has been cheating. It's what happens when your kid cycles back to that addiction. It's what happened earlier this year when some of you, uh, your homes got hit by the tornado in the middle of the night. Or it's what's happened to all of humanity as COVID has kind of turned things on its head. There's seasons when the testing, when the trial, when the suffering, when the hardship comes in a way you didn't expect it. It comes in different shapes. But James starts with the bad news. He says, hey, here's the deal. He said you should expect it, and it's going to come in many shapes and sizes. Welcome to church. How's that for like an uplifting message? Like, you know, you logged on this morning, and I'm like, your life is about to get wrecked. But, um, you know, James, he loves us enough to just tell us the truth. He says, hey, some of these things are going to be hard. But he doesn't stop with the bad news. That there's so much good news in the middle of this. And if you're going to sum up the good news this way, it's that Jesus never wastes an ounce of your suffering." Jesus never wastes an ounce of your pain. And I want you to hear me so clearly. If you've checked out, like, please dial back in with me for just a moment. Um, The Scriptures are clear that that suffering doesn't always come from God. (laughs) Hardship doesn't always come from God. It doesn't mean that, that God is trying to test you or prove you. There's times that hardship comes from God. There's times that suffering comes from God. But one of the things that the Scripture points to very consistently is that as human beings, we very rarely know where the source of our struggle is coming from. But what the the Scriptures do point to is what God is able to do in the midst of the struggle. So there's so many things that I could point you to, but I think about the story of Joseph. If you've ever read through the story of Joseph, in, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, he finds himself in the midst of all sorts of struggle and hardship. His brothers abuse him. They sell him literally to human traffickers. He becomes a slave in a foreign country. His life is miserable for the better part of 13 years, really difficult season. And and what's clear in the midst of that is, is that God wasn't the one bringing that suffering on. But as you watch the life of Joseph, God is so redemptive. He's so powerful. He's able to use every ounce of that suffering for his redemptive purpose. And there's this beautiful moment towards the end of Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 50, where he speaks to his brothers and he says, This evil that Satan meant to bring me down, God has turned it for good. God's used it. And that's what you're going to hear like in the words of James. It's what Jesus says in John 16. Hey, you're going to face trouble, but take this into your heart. I've overcome the trouble. As followers of Jesus, we don't get a hall pass around suffering. We don't get a get out of jail free card when it comes to hardship and trial. Uh, But that God, in the midst of it, he strengthens us. He produces something in us. Look back at these verses with me. Verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here's where the good news comes in. Verse 3, he says, because. He says, here's why you can consider pure joy. He says, because. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let perseverance finish its work in you, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, a few weeks ago, Aaron talked about this reality of testing. So we're not going to spend much time on that this morning. You can go back and listen to that podcast. It's really powerful. as He talked about the nature of testing in the kingdom of God. But James is speaking into this reality here. He says, hey, here's the reality is that as you go through this hardship, the suffering that you should expect that will come in many shapes and sizes, you should also expect that God won't waste an ounce of it. He'll redeem every bit of it for his glory and your joy and the good of people that are around you. What James knew is that it's impossible to grow in the character of God, to grow in our affection for God unless there's some resistance in our life. And we know this to be true in every area of life, right? That you can't grow without resistance. Like if you wanna get stronger and you go to the gym, you don't get stronger because you got the new tennis shoes and the new workout clothes and the membership. That's not what makes you stronger. You also don't get stronger because you lay down on the bench. Like Just imagine laying down on the bench and trying, uh, pretending that you're lifting weights. It's like you don't get stronger until there's resistance that there's something about resistance that helps you grow, and it's true in the kingdom of God. And James is going to say, this thing that you're going through, this suffering that you've been in, he says, it's the type of resistance that God is going to use to make you stronger. It's going to work on you internally. God's going to do something in you. He's going to purify who you are, your maturity, your sense of faith. He it's going to work on you externally, communally. It's going to help the people around you get a glimpse of who Christ is. But one of the things that we don't talk about, and I wish we had more time to speak into this today, one of the the, the gifts of hardship, one of the gifts of suffering, is it actually prepares us for that moment where every one of us, when we're going to see Jesus face to face. And so often we don't think about this. We tend to live with such a short-sighted view, but there's going to be this moment where Jesus is going to quite literally return to earth. It says the sky is going to be parted. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to sit uh, he's going to set up an eternal kingdom. And this this reality of suffering of hardship, it's one of the things that God uses to prepare us for that moment. Because God the Father does not want his son Jesus to return for a lukewarm, half-hearted bride. I mean, I just want you to picture this for a moment. Imagine if Jesus were to return today, would he find an American church that is longing for his return? What would he find? What would, what would he find in your home? Can, can you imagine Jesus returning and the American church going, oh yeah, glad you're back. Welcome back. Like, can you imagine him returning to a half-hearted, apathetic body of people? You know, last night I was doing that wedding and one of my favorite moments in any wedding is, is the anticipation right before the doors open. I'm standing there with the groom, and I'm just looking back and forth at him, and then the moment the doors open, you see the look on the bride's face and the look on the groom's face as they see each other for the first time in this moment, and just all that joy and all that anticipation. And last night, even as I was thinking about this message, I thought, can you imagine what would happen if the doors opened and the bride was apathetic to the groom? Yeah, I'm not in a hurry to get down there. I want to run some errands. I want to go on vacation. I want to get some things done. Then we'll get around to this later. Man, if that happened, I'd be like, bro, you got to run. She's not ready for you. And part of what happens when we face trial and temptation and suffering and testing is God begins to to weed out all of the things in our heart that are vying for our affection in King Jesus. The reality is when your life is comfortable and easy— It's easy to go, yeah, I love Jesus, but I also really love my work, and I love my bank account, and I love my job, and I love my children. I love all these things, and something happens when suffering comes. It's why he says, consider it to be purified joy, because a lot of us have a pretty tainted joy when it comes to the kingdom of God, but when suffering and hardship comes in, the Lord begins to do something in us. See, the reality is God's goal for your life is different than your goal for your life. It's different than my goal for my life. It was up, if it was up to me, I'd say, God, here's my goal. I want an easy, comfortable, fun, wonderful life, preferably somewhere on the beach. And in the midst of that, I want to live for you with great purpose. You know, but God, I think he knows that when we live in that place of just like unmitigated comfort and, and ease that we tend to lose our focus on him. So it's in that place of hardship. You know. God, God goes, hey, my goal for you is different. My goal for you is I want you to be holy. I want you to be perfectly devoted to me. I want you to lay down your life for the sake of other people, and that does not come unless there's some resistance. So James, he starts with the bad news. He says, the bad news is you should expect suffering It's gonna come in many shapes and sizes, but the good news is for those of you that are following Jesus, when that, that stuff comes into your life, if you'll allow Jesus, he will, he will work it out so that you'll become more like him and you'll be ready to see him face to face. And then he gets into the kind of the last part and that's kind of the what to do's. And so I love this, James doesn't just drop this grenade into the conversation and walk out. He doesn't just say, hey, bad news, you're gonna suffer, good news, God wants to use it, good luck with that. That's not what he does. James says there's some stuff that you can do to survive the moment that you're in to thrive in the moment that you're in, or to prepare for the reality of what's getting ready to come. And there's just kind of three quick things. I wish we had more time to spend on this. But as you think about what do we do in suffering, or what do we do as we prepare for suffering? First thing is, it starts in the place of relationship. It starts with a relationship. And you have to kind of read between the lines, but I want you to see this in verse two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. In other words, everything that James spoke of when he talked about the good news of suffering, it was good news only for people that were working, that were walking in covenant relationship with God and with one another. That James says that the bad news is universal, but the good news is unique to those that are walking in covenant relationship with God and each other. You know, John chapter one verse twelve says that who, says anyone who believes in Jesus has the right to become children of God. It's this reality that we're born into a family, that we're born into this vertical relationship with God and into this horizontal relationship with one another. It's a both-and thing. And James is going to say, if you don't want to just endure in the suffering, but if you want to get stronger, if you want to experience the redemptive reality of that suffering, it starts with you being rightly related to God and walking that out in the context of community. This is so key. This is the only thing some of you need to hear today. Some of you, it is time for you to get right with Jesus. If you have any questions about that, how do I do that? We'd love to meet with you in person to talk, to pray. If you're not comfortable doing that, we'll get together over FaceTime or a Zoom call. Just shoot us a message at share at ethoschurch.org. But for some of you, this is where it starts, going, I've got to get right with God, or I've got to walk in community. Because guys, the promise of redemption that is attached to suffering in the Scriptures is a promise that is uniquely reserved for those that are walking in right relationship with God in the context of Christian community. So often I hear Romans 8.28 completely butchered and misquoted. We love to quote the first part of Romans 8.28 that says, you know, that uh, God works all things for the good. And that's where we stop. God works all things for the good. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. It says God works all things for the good of those who love him and who live according to his purposes. That the promise is not that God just works it all out because you're a human being. The promise is that God works it all out because you're a human being surrendered in right relationship to Him in the context of community with other people. And so, what do you do as you think about the moment you're in or the moment that's coming? It's, you assess, man, am I in good relationship with God? Am I walking in Christian community? A second thing that James gives us to do, it's not just about relationship. Second thing, is about how do we shift our perspective? Let's deal with kind of this crazy statement that James makes at the beginning of verse two. He says, consider it pure joy. I know it sounds sacrilegious. It sounds like he's a madman here, but you you read this and you go, James, what are you talking about? What are you smoking, man? Like, consider it pure joy when you face trial. I want you to notice what James says. He doesn't say it is pure joy when you face trial. He doesn't say put on a happy face. He doesn't say sweep it under the rug. He says, no, you have to shift the way you view the trial. He says, consider it consider it. You have to view it the way that nobody else views it. Part of the way that you prepare for suffering, part of the way you stand strong in suffering, is that you have a shift in your perspective. You know, several months ago, or several weeks ago, my youngest son and I were coming back from a trip, uh, visiting my parents, and we got on the plane. We are getting ready to fly back to Nashville, and it was storming like crazy, just pouring rain, and dark, kind of ominous clouds, and we take off, and, and as we're kind of flying up through the clouds, you feel, you know, just the turbulence, and everybody's getting nauseous, and, you know, people that were scared of flying were now very scared of flying, and we're going through those clouds together, but there's this moment where we burst through the clouds, and it was just beautiful. And Judah looks over at me, he's five years old, and he says, Dad, it looks like heaven up here. And something just kind of struck me. I went, man, these are the same clouds, when we're beneath them, they felt so ominous and scary and terrifying. Above them, they're so beautiful. Same clouds, different perspectives. This is the invitation of the Lord in your life. It's not to ignore the clouds, it's to see them from a different angle. So Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. He says, as you're walking through earth, remember you've already been seated in heavenly places. You've already been seated. You see it from a different perspective. Yesterday, Nancy uh, Bryant, who's one of our dear sisters at Ethos, she just sent me a message. I think it was from the Holy Spirit. She sent it just kind of off the cuff, just talking about the way that God has strengthened her in hardship in her life. And she said, Dave, years ago, when I was going through a, an intense season of suffering, she said, I experienced the healing of God in my life, and it started in the place of a new perspective. She said, I'd lay in bed, and every morning in the midst of my pain, I would pray, and I would worship, and I would thank God for how good he was to me, even though my life didn't feel very good. And she said, and then I would start praying for other people in my life who I knew were suffering. And she said, it's amazing what happened when I shifted my perspective. She said, I didn't have to ignore everything that was going on. I didn't have to gloss over it, but I chose to see the clouds differently. James is going to say there's bad news. suffering's going to come in shape all shapes and sizes. There's good news. Jesus wants to work through it. But if you want to experience that redemptive quality, it happens as you embrace a new relationship. It happens as you shift your perspective. And here's where we'll end, number three. It happens as you choose to pray with faith. Look at verse 5 through 8. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you know, so often I read this and I actually divorce it from the, the, the words that came right before it. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind james says when you find yourself in this unwanted predicament when you find yourself in the face of trial when you find yourself trying to navigate the uncertainty of the moment that you're in and you need wisdom for how to live with God in the midst of it he said just ask him you pray you say God God, would you help me live like you? Guys, a, a sense in the core of my bones that what we're in right now as a nation, what we're in right now as, uh, as a global community in, in a lot of ways is a dress rehearsal for what's coming. The suffering, the hardship, guys, I'm just telling you, it, what we're going through right now, it pales in comparison to what so many have experienced in the past. And it pales in comparison to what the Scriptures say will come in the future. What we're in right now, guys, it, it is a test. It is revealing something, some good things, some hard things, some true things, some good things. It's, it's revealing something, and the reality is I'm, I'm so convinced in the core of my bones that in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, the years ahead, following Jesus in America is going to be more difficult than it was a couple of years ago or even a couple of months ago. Last night I was at a wedding uh, sitting at the reception, and one of my friends, he just made a statement. He said, you know, it feels like over the last year or two following Jesus is no longer in vogue following Jesus become more difficult. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's just going to get tougher in some ways. We're going to experience the testing. We're going to experience the trial. And guys, the longing of my heart as I've been praying for you is that in this season of mild testing, that God will strengthen us so that when the, the days of greater testing comes, none of you will turn from the faith, so that none of you will walk away, so that none of your love for Christ will grow cold. And if your love for Jesus has grown cold in this season, that God would use this as a wake-up. that something would stir in you and your affection for King Jesus would begin to burn bright again. I love that moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples at at the Last Supper, and he looks at Peter in particular. He says, hey, Peter, tonight you're going to be tested, and you're going to be tested so hard, your life is going to do everything but break completely. And it seems like in that moment, Jesus knew what Peter was going to get ready to go through. You think that Jesus would say, hey, buddy, you need to avoid this. Don't don't go to that place. But instead, Jesus says, you're going to go through it And I've prayed for you. And when you come out on the other side stronger, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I love what the book of Hebrews says is that Jesus lives constantly to intercede for his people. Think about this, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, you're never alone. King Jesus is seated in heavenly places. He is praying for you. Your name is on his lips. He's praying for this church. He's praying for the city. He's praying for the nation. He's praying that the people of God in the midst of this testing wouldn't be broken, but that the gospel would raise up in us. And he says, when you return, strengthen the brothers. Strengthen your family. Strengthen those that are there. Guys, God's doing great stuff right now. But the great stuff is going to happen in the place of tempting and testing and struggle and suffering. And James loves us enough to say it. So I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where you feel like God's present or maybe you feel like God is absent. But but I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are in the midst of this, I want to encourage you to turn to Christ in it. If if your relationship with Him is not where it needs to be, man, reach out to us. We'd love to help you take that step. If you you don't know how to find community in this season, reach out. We'd love to help you. You know, if you need a shift in your perspective to, to just wake up in the mornings and to praise and worship God before you do anything, to get in the Scriptures, to thank God for who He is, and then to pray without ceasing that God would use this moment for His redemptive good. Right now we're gonna take communion together like we do every week, and as we break the bread and as we take the cup, literally, as you break that bread and take the cup, you're being reminded that in Jesus's suffering, there is both affliction and victory, that there's both pain and progress, that the Son of God didn't get around the pain, He went through it, and in the midst of what felt like defeat, God was bringing victory, and it's the same for us today. So I want to encourage you as you break the bread, as you take the cup in your home, to reflect on Jesus and to share in the fellowship of suffering with Jesus and ask him to do it all he can do. So let's pray together as we prepare for communion. Father, I love you. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church family. Lord, we thank you that in your hands, no pain, no hardship, no suffering is wasted. God, would you use it for your glory. Thank you for your brother, your servant James, and for the way that he can look us in the eyes and say the thing we need to hear, even if it's not the thing that we want to hear. And God, would you use it to make us stronger. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Let's take communion together. We love you.